welcome back to Kyle's Internal Monologue. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the episode Hunter Prey from Babylon 5 Season 2. So this episode is pretty good. Um, it's pretty much a, another link in the chain uh, for some of the major plot threads that are running through B5. You've got the conspiracy that is uh, trying to help take down, you know, Vice President or, well, now President Clark. You have the building mystique of the Vorlons and the growing tensions of whatever this battle against the shadows is and, you know, teaching shadow to fight legends. Uh, and that, all that is sort of culminates in an episode that is pretty much a, a link in the chain of developing plot threads on character motivations. Um, the perhaps the most interesting bit of the episode is in relation to Kosh himself. So I'll talk about Dr. Jacobs and the conspiracy against Clark first. Um, so the uh, basically, Dr. Jacobs is uh, was Vice President Clark's personal physician. And uh, of course, uh, Clark got off Earth Force One conveniently just before it exploded. Uh, due to a virus, an illness he had. And Jacobs, being his personal physician, knows that's complete bullshit. Knows that he was perfectly fine, he was of good health. Um, so now, uh, the, the regime, uh, you know, Clark's sort of, uh, reign of terror is beginning with the, uh, finding and disappearing of Dr. Jacobs. Now, Dr. Jacobs isn't an idiot. Um, and, and I like how they address this fact that uh, Dr. Jacobs knew very, very, very well that he was only being kept alive as deniability. Because if Dr. Jacobs conveniently disappeared just after, you know, the assassination of Santiago, then, well, guess what? It kind of, it kind of is uh, Clark pointing the finger at himself going, I totes destroyed, you know, destroyed Earth Force One. I totes, you know, assassinated the president so that I could ascend to presidency, yo. Uh, and so it's uh, deniability by saying, oh, well, I was genuinely sick. And if nothing else fails, they can torture him or, uh, or pay him off to get him to write you know, you know, write a fake script, you know, you know, forge evidence to say, yeah, Clark was sick. Uh, and then now that a sufficient time has passed, several months have passed at this point that, uh, that we can go ahead and now and get rid of him and get rid of him, of course, is killing him because he has too much vital information. Uh, he also has a data crystal with a lot of information in regards to the way Clark was running things. So, you know, it's it's a step forward in the conspiracy against Clark, which Sheridan is a part of, understandably, as we have well as, uh, you know, which Sheridan is part of, as we established before, uh, and General Haig is running, uh, needs to get hold of it. It's not it's not enough evidence to convict Clark. It's not enough to dispose of, you know, depose him, but it is enough to begin the journey, to begin the start. As I mentioned before, you know, they can only, you know, you can only enact a coup d'etat once. This, you only get one shot at this. So they have to make sure they have enough evidence so that when they strike, they cut off the head, you know. Uh, you know, you cut off the head of a snake, it dies. You know, the body dies. You have to be careful about, about this kind of thing. This is a very risky political maneuver. And in order to, uh, you know, cut off the head, you know, get rid of Clark, they have to move 
with the sufficient enough evidence to bring and levy against him so that they're not seen as, uh, you know, uh, someone, you know, people who are in the wrong, people who are forging evidence. They have to have enough true evidence to take him down. Uh, it's going to be a very long time before they have enough evidence, so it's going to take a while, and uh, this is this is just the beginning. You know, it, it's it's a start, and it's, you know, a start is better than nothing, as I pointed out last episode with Chakar and the hope for the future when in regards to the supplies given to him. Uh, and Dr. Jacobs is uh, smart enough to know that he's going to be killed any time. And there's this there's this interesting aspect of, you know, he can't sleep. He literally can't sleep because if he does, they will catch up to him and kill him. So he's taking stims to keep himself awake and he's on the constant run all the time. And he's just so tired. And, uh, you know, he's an, you know, he's an older man. He, you know, he's not built for this kind of thing. And he's also a man of wealth. He was the personal physician to the vice president of, you know, Earth. Obviously, he's a man of importance, a man of wealth, and he's not used to, uh, you know, the basically the lower class areas, the in this crime ridden area of down below. So he doesn't understand how the criminal underworld works. The criminal underworld has a certain intricacy that it works on, a certain level of doing things, and he's not accustomed to that. So, like when he goes to the guy to get an ident uh, identity card, and the guy immediately just turns him away going, you know, you want it too much. You're a liability. There's a chance that you're either a cop or you're someone else. And I can't chance that, you know, you're, you could, you could be wanted and it could get me, you know, my throat slashed, you know, you just can't chance it. And then when he just shows up down below in his rich clothes, cause he hasn't had time to change. And he's just like, oh, I'm going to pay off anybody that, you know, deals with me. That's not how you deal with the criminals. The criminals are, you know, if you're showing up rich, they're going to know that you're going to be worth something if they ransom you. Which is exactly what happens. He gets captured and they try and ransom him. And things just go badly for everyone. Uh, you know, Jacobs may be smart. Uh, and he was Franklin's teacher in Harvard, one of his professors. Uh, but... You know, book smarts doesn't equal street smarts, nor does it equal competency in an area that you're unfamiliar with. General intelligence uh, does not always equal, you know, intelligence of everything. Uh, and so he's unfamiliar with the criminal underworld and easily gets caught as a result. Um, the way they handle dealing with him, uh, you know, is smart. Uh, you know, Sheridan negotiated with Kosh, which I'll get to the Kosh bit in a minute. Uh, and in basically cheating, you know, Cranston uh, by, you know, you know, bluffing him by putting by putting Jacobs on Kosh's ship, which we find out is an organic living being. And, uh, and, and then scanning and then only finding one life form, you know, it's uh, it's a way of bluffing your way around something. And Sheridan's been really good at bluffing his way out of every situation he can. You know, he talked about a few episodes ago that, uh, you know, the more you know than your enemy, the more advantage you have. Uh, it's all about playing the long con, which is something he's really good at. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, he seems like the square-jawed, two-fisted hero. Uh, who's all about the, he's the action, he's the man of action who, you know, step up and do the right thing. And he certainly is that to a certain extent, but he's also a thinker. And he's incredibly smart and he knows how to outthink his enemies. He's incredibly witty. 
That's that's the thing about Sheridan. And uh, I just like the handling of Jacobs. And, uh, you know, he provides an interesting way to continue the conspiracy against Clark. We've been building it slowly. And I've been pointing out, you know, that Clark, you know, conveniently gone off the ship and isn't it convenient most people looking at that a lot of conspiracy theorists would go oh that's really convenient and i like how that's addressed by literally having the doctor being chased that if he's if his information is lit lit out they'll find out that clark did indeed fake his way conveniently to get off the ship before it exploded um and and when uh franklin and garibaldi are out trying to track down uh jacobs and rescue him they have a wonderful conversation, uh, you know, about the future, about how, you know, when you're 22, the future looks so bright and optimistic, you know, that uh, the, that endless ambition you have when your life is just starting out. And then now, you know, they don't talk about all the hardships. They don't talk about everything that's required. It's, it's sort of, and Franklin says, you know, it's sort of like that one toy you so desperately want and you beg your parents for it you beg your parents for it and then you finally get it and then, you, and then the mystique disappears and you realize it's not as fun as you thought it was going to be and uh, Garibaldi has that great line of perhaps someone should have said the future some assembly required uh, it's great uh, because B5 has always been a bit more uh, realistic when it comes to the portrayal of humanity uh, in the future you know, we haven't solved all our problems like we did in Star Trek. There's a lot of issues that need to be resolved before we're, you know, perfect. You know, it's not bright and shiny. It's the future of today and the future. It's the future. Um, we, as a, we as a race progress, but we progress slowly and we progress primarily technologically. And very rarely have we progressed beyond the endless cycles of in loops that we have lived in since time immemorial. And, and, and I like how this show, while maintaining its sense of optimism, because it does have an unyielding sense of optimism, especially with certain characters, it does legitimately acknowledge, you know, the future is going to be difficult. There, there's going to be trials, there's going to be hardships, and it's going to take us time to get to where we want to be. Some assembly is going to be required become the future that we want for our children and their posterity um now i'll move on to the kosh bit we're continuing to build the mystique of the vorlon you know they're obviously connected to the to the shadows in some way there was like the you know the confrontation between kosh and morden way back in science importance and they seem to know everything that's going on and the vorlons are the most advanced race that we know of in you know in the galaxy and this episode opens on them investigating his ship and how the ship is organic. You get too close, it you know pulls a gun. It you know it it uh it communicates to Kosh. It's obviously linked to him in some way, and I like how it it's it's able to have independent thought. It telepathically sings to people. Uh, the the maintenance workers who used to work on you know Docky Bay thirteen, uh, they mentioned here you know hearing the ship at night. You know hearing the ship at night in their dreams. Uh, Jacobs, when he's put in there, when he's awoken, because Kosh refuses to let him on the ship as long as he's conscious, so they put him in the, you know, you know, they put him under, put a sedate him, and he's like, the, you know, the ship sang to me while I was there, while I was asleep. Obviously, it's a living, breathing entity of some kind. What it, what it is, what it, you know, how it's connected to Kosh in some way is anybody's guess. But once again, the the Vorlons so outclass us in every single way um and are so mysterious that it continues 
to elude us. And I like that. He, he keeps up this mystique, which is exactly what the Vorlons want. Um, I've mentioned this before in other, uh, you know, spoiler sections, so I won't mention it again. But the Vorlons have a certain mystique about them that they want to keep up to ensure something about them. And uh, I love that Kosh has never, never really interacted with many people of the crew. He's in. He's been to some of the the, the advisory council meetings. Uh, the he he. Uh, he and the rest of the Vorlons destroyed, the, uh, you know, uh, the uh, death de destroyed Deathwalker, you know, killed her to prevent the, anybody from getting the serum of immortality. And he's talked to Sinclair a couple times when Sinclair came to him, but Kosh never came personally to Sinclair. And now, Kosh is doing everything he can to be noticed by Sheridan, and is imploring him to come see him. He even asks, but Corwin and Ivanova are weirded out when uh, when Sheridan is asked by name by Kosh, and Ivanova's like, Kosh never asked for anybody. This is better be important. And you know, Kosh is here for something. He he, as he says, if he said a few episodes ago in All Alone in the Night. Uh, you, you have always been here. Obviously, Sheridan has been chosen for something. Uh, and to put it as Kosh says, you know, to fight legends. Uh, and I love when, when, you know, Kosh is being his usual enigmatic self. And Sheridan's having none of that bullshit. He's just calling Kosh out. Like, you call me here, and then you don't answer my questions. Kosh continuously avoids the questions, always tries to be enigmatic, uses, you know, monosyllabic answers or vague answers that he's always answering the the reason for the question being asked rather than the question itself. And by doing that, he maintains a mystique and an image around himself and other Vorlons of this mysterious superior race something i talked about before and even brought up last episode you know the the belief those that are superior will always hold over others the belief that they are right and you are wrong and sheridan's having none of that bullshit he calls him out right on it now he's like you call me here and you don't even bother to answer you know what do you want and that's when kosh snaps and goes never ask that question uh Obviously, if you remember, when Morden walked around the station way back inside the importance, he asked every ambassador, what do you want? Obviously, if the Vorlons are teaching Sheridan, in particular Kosh is teaching Sheridan how to fight legends, and these legends, these creatures that appear in the Book of Jaquan, these shadows, obviously these are legends, and what do you want is something important to them as a people. Well, the significance of that I have mentioned a little bit in uh, uh, I've mentioned in some spoiler sections, but I'll talk about more when we get to um, the particular certain meanings of the questions as they are brought up repeatedly throughout, especially in season four. Uh, but anyway, uh, next week we will be talking about another Peter David written episode, which is called "There All the Honor Lies." Until then, see ya. Bye. Thank you.